I know that as a society, we're, we're certainly busier than we've ever been. I don't know where you are personally in your life, so you may be retired, I mean, not be so busy. I, I don't know. One person retired and told me they were so busy, they didn't know how they ever found time to work before they retired. So I, I don't know. I just know as a society, we seem to be doing more and more and, and more. And I, I heard a quote from a little over 100 years ago as some uh, different appliances were being invented for the home. One person said... As this machinery moves into uh, the common household, housewives are no longer going to have anything to do. They're going to be just completely bored. Of course, we know that's not the case, is it? Have you ever noticed that the technology that's supposed to make our life easier seems to bring us stress? I mean, I don't know if your computer's updated here lately, but if it has, you know what I'm talking about. We are just, we're, we're a busy people. We're busy as a culture. We're a busy society. And, and I suspect for many of you today that that's the case in your own life. You're, you're very busy. Well, the Lord has called us to something. And it's not necessarily busyness. That, that's for sure. The Lord has called us to be productive. Productive. By productive, I mean actually produce things. The problem with with busyness is it gives the illusion of producing things. You, you can be really busy and yet not actually be accomplishing anything. Today we have, uh, most of us have a GPS on our phone and maybe you got one of those older GPS boxes that for navigation in your car or even got it built in. I tell you where to go. But I remember back in the old days, you know when you had to get a map and, and you had to pull over and ask at a service station, uh, did I miss Highway 101? Because I, I don't see it yet. A lot of people cruising 80 miles an hour down the interstate really feel like they're getting somewhere until they realize they've missed their exit and been headed in the wrong direction. And unfortunately, that's what a lot of people's lives are like today. They're super busy. They don't have a problem with doing things. They're doing things. In fact, most of us are doing too much but yet they're not actually producing anything or at least not producing anything worth producing. Nothing of eternal value. Nothing that will stay. Nothing that will make a difference in their lives or the lives of those around them. Jesus used the metaphor of a vine. And that's what we're looking at today in John chapter 15 he uses the metaphor of a vine to talk about us producing in the way that we were designed to produce. The whole purpose of a grapevine is to produce grapes. It can grow and climb everywhere and sprout all kinds of leaves, but until it's actually produced a grape, all that activity has not actually produced anything. And so Jesus, in this, in this extended metaphor that he gives us, he says that, that he is the vine and we are the branches on the vine. And just like the, the branches are meant to find nourishment through the vine and thus produce grapes, you and I are meant to find our, our source of strength, our source of spiritual nourishment, through Jesus, and it results in us 
producing something. Producing something that is beyond our ability to produce on our own. Producing something that is of eternal value. Producing something that, that ultimately, Jesus would say, brings glory to God and proves that we are his disciples. And so this morning, it's a rather heavy message that the Lord has for us. As we reflect on the purpose of our life, and are we fulfilling the purpose of our life, or, or are we just living in the illusion of productivity created by constant busyness activity? Jesus said that we were, we were meant to produce things and therefore proved to be his disciples. So John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8 is where Jesus gives us his teaching. Would you join me in standing this out of honor and reverence for God's word as we read it together? John chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Let's pray together. Lord, we pray today that you'd help us to understand what it means for us to be the branches. I pray that we would take a very honest appraisal about how we're using our time and our energy I pray that we'd have a desire to actually bear spiritual fruit and be productive. Lord, may we bring glory to you by how we live. For it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we have a purpose in life. We have a purpose. And our purpose is to bear fruit. You know, I, I pastored in Atlanta for nine years, and I've pastored in different places. Uh, I was in Dublin, North Carolina, population 134, and then moved from there to Pastor in Atlanta, population 4.5 million the year that we went there, and I think it was 5.4 million when we left there, and then and here we are in Madisonville. We, we've been a lot of different places and, and uh, ministered in diverse contexts, and I've always thought that people that live in a rural area have a major advantage when it comes to reading the Bible. Because so much of the imagery of the Bible is set in agriculture and, and farming. And so it is today as Jesus talks about this, this vine 
and a vine actually producing grapes. We, we, we understand how vines work, and that's the reason that Jesus used it. He took something so familiar to us to help us to recognize something that we may not have called on or that we may not be understanding of, is that a vine has a purpose, and that's to bear fruit, and the same is true for us. We have, we have a purpose. So Jesus begins by describing himself and the Father and their role in our work. So Jesus is, of course, the, the true source of nourishment. Notice what he says. He says, I am the true vine. So Jesus just doesn't say that he is the vine in this metaphor, but he is the, the true vine. And throughout the Gospel of John in particular, Jesus has been contrasted with false sources of nourishment, false sources of provision. He is the, the true source. So in John chapter 1, verse 9, as the gospel opened, John the Baptist came along. John the Baptist was the first prophet since Malachi. 400 years, the nation of Israel has just lived in silence, not hearing a word from the Lord. And along comes John the Baptist. Most of us completely underestimate John the Baptist because he's completely overshadowed by Jesus, as he should be. But had John the Baptist been recorded in the Old Testament, we'd perhaps get a greater vision of the power that John the Baptist had and the popularity that he had among the people. John the Baptist was an absolutely extraordinary preacher that it was anointed by God to point the way to the Messiah and to prepare the people for him. I, I don't know... Uh, uh, who we could even compare John the Baptist to to get an idea. But just a generation ago, as Billy Graham was packing out stadiums, not only in America, but across the world, uh, Billy Graham couldn't hold a candle to John the Baptist. John the Baptist didn't need a stadium. He went out in the middle of the wilderness, and the people came and they found him. Great crowds came and followed and listened to John the Baptist. But John the Baptist wanted to be sure that they didn't misunderstand who he was. And so he said about Jesus... The true light, which gives light to everyone. The true light. He was, John the Baptist was not the light. He was just pointing the way. So the, the, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. In John chapter 4, Jesus was speaking to the woman at the well. And as he speaked about worshipers, he told her, but the hour is coming and is now here when the here it is again, that the true worshipers, the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Uh, so true worshipers, so, so there's people that are, that are not worshiping in spirit and truth. There are people who are great preachers who are pointing to the light, but they are not the light, not the true light. And then Jesus, in John chapter 6, just a couple chapters over, and he was speaking about uh, manna after feeding the people. Here's what he says. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the, the true bread from heaven. And of course, Jesus was going to say that he was the true bread. Meaning that, that the manna that God had fed the people in the wilderness as they were journeying to the promised land, it was, just, it was just bread. All it did was fill the stomach. But the true bread, Jesus, who would be the ultimate source of nourishment for their soul, he was now coming. And so when it says in this passage in 15.1, I am the true vine, that word true is important. 
A vine, we know, is the branch's connection to the soil. That's where it gets its water. It's where it gets its nourishment. It's from the soil. The, the, soul, uh, the, the soil. I got soul on the brain. From the soil. Roots go out. Brings the nourishment up to the branches. And so Jesus said that he was the true vine, meaning there are sources that people look to for nourishment that can't nourish their soul. They're empty and false promises. Jesus is the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. In verse 2, he says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Well, I, I don't know about you, but I grew up on a farm. I know what pruning means. It doesn't sound very exciting to, to hear that I'm going to be pruned. But that's what the Bible says, isn't it? That the Father is the vine dresser. And so when you begin to bear fruit, God works in your life to help you bear more. This is, this is, the, this is the purpose of, of pruning, is to help the vine become more productive. When we were, uh, when we were growing up, we, we raised tobacco, and uh, I had no idea we were causing cancer, so I'm sorry about that, but, but we did. We, we raised all kinds of tobacco, and that's how I paid my way through school. And when you raise that tobacco, you have, to, you have to top it. I don't know if you've ever raised tobacco or not, but it starts growing up, and you have to go out there, and you have to cut the top off of it. And the reason is you have to stop it from sending that energy and that nourishment to, to these uh, sprouts so that it can grow bigger leaves that you can, that you can sell. When you're going you're gonna to grow apples, you have to go out there in that apple tree, and you have to cut it back. Because if you don't cut it back, it'll devote all the nourishment to more branches and more branches and keep growing. So you cut it back so that nourishment goes to those, goes to those apples. If you're going to grow grapes, you have to go out there and you have to prune off those branches that are not producing anything. And you have to, the ones that are producing, you, you cut them back. And so, so the Lord has called us to be productive. This is a beautiful thing. He's not left us to do it on our own. He works in us, and he works with us, and he works through us, and he works for us. And so the Bible says that the Father is the vine dresser. He, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. Well, what is fruit? I mean, we know what literal fruit is, but, but in this metaphor that Jesus is talking about describing us as branches, what, what is fruit and what does it look like? Well, in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23, the Bible gives a list of some of the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. You <clears throat> say, well, this is the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of the believer, and this division that you and I don't want to make because, you see, just as Father, Son, and Spirit are all working together, the Spirit works in us to actually produce fruit through us. And so the fruit of the Spirit, the list that it gives here is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now, these, uh, 
This list is not an exhaustive list of all the things that the Spirit produces in us, but it gives an example. This is just after the Bible given an example of the works of the flesh. It says this is the fruit of the Spirit. So what happens is that when you become a believer, God's Holy Spirit comes and dwells inside of you. And the Holy Spirit begins a work of transformation. This work of transformation changes our heart. And by heart, we're not talking about the organ in our chest, but, but just as, again, as a metaphor to speak about our will and our desires. This is about what we want to do in life. What is our desire? This is the reason that when people get focused on rules, uh, they become very miserable people. Because you can't please God by following rules. God's not concerned with us getting just inside of a technicality. God is concerned about our desires. He wants us to want to do what he's called us to do. He wants us to be driven by a new motive that he's given us. And so the Holy Spirit begins to change us and do a work. And so this change inside then manifests itself in different behavior. So the Bible describes this in this list. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These things are not part of our sinful nature. So they're not, they're not natural things. It's not natural for us to be full of love, full of joy, full of peace, full of gentleness. It's, not, it's just not natural. If you think that those things are natural, you've never driven in traffic before. How do people relate to each other in traffic? Yeah. We moved here. We hadn't been here uh, two weeks, I don't think. And we were on uh, uh, Main Street here, about to turn on Island Ford. And my wife honked at somebody. And I said, Dave, you can't do that here. We're not in Atlanta anymore. They're going to know who you are. <laughs> they may be our next-door neighbor. <laughs> you can't do that here. It's just the way people relate in Atlanta, you know. You honk, yell, communicate in other ways. Because that's natural to us. That's the sinful nature. We are, we are selfish by nature. We are selfish, arrogant, prideful people. Some of us have a little more weakness in this area or that, but that's the natural person. And the Spirit comes in and changes us, and we become this different person, and it's a progressive thing. It doesn't happen overnight. Then now we become people who are who are gentle, people of peace, people who love other people, people who can exercise self-control, people who are gentle and restrained, people who are kind and, and good. This is some of the fruit that God wants us to produce in our life. And so the Bible says in order to help us bear more fruit, he he prunes us. One of the ways that God prunes us is, is discipline. Discipline. The Bible says in Proverbs 3, verses 11 through 12, 
My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. I say, how does the Lord reprove us? Well, sometimes he reproves us through his word. We're, we're, we're reading and the Lord just confronts us about something in our life that we've got to change. Sometimes he reproves us through circumstances. We become rebellious and arrogant and we, we want to do things our own way and then the Lord just allows us to experience the, the consequences of our actions. He, he disciplines us in different ways to make us more productive. This is, this is the thing that it's hard for children to understand sometimes why their parents discipline them. As you grow, you begin to, to realize that, that it's not love to allow a child to run free and play in the street and do all kinds of dangerous things. And when I was growing up, I'd see other kids that they just didn't have a lot of restraint at home. They got to do all kinds of things I didn't get to do. And, and my mama was a very wise lady. And she told me, she says, son, she says, kids do a pretty poor job of raising themselves. And there was a lot of things that my mama didn't let me do that I didn't understand at the time. And I look back now, I'm very thankful that she gave me some pretty firm restraints and protected me from making bad choices, getting in bad situations. It's motivated by love, not a desire to, to uh, abuse. It's motivated by love. And the Bible says that it's the same reason that the Lord disciplines us. That just like a parent disciplines their child, so the Lord disciplines us. And so Jesus said that, that in this metaphor of him being the vine and us being the branches, the Father's the brine dresser. And so as we become productive, he prunes us back so we can become even more productive. To the Holy Spirit, the, the Lord convicts us about different things that we, that we need to change. Now, verse 3, he says, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. So the problem with metaphors is that they usually break down at some point. You don't want to ask, well, what about the worm on the vine and what does that relate to? You, know, they just don't, you can't take the metaphor too far. There's, if it was exact correlation, it would be the thing and not, the, not a metaphor. And so Jesus, to make sure that we don't, misunderstand what it means to be pruned, he makes it clear that, that he's not talking about true disciples earning their salvation. He says to the disciples, already you are clean. So we're not talking about becoming saved by being productive. So Jesus tells us the key to bearing fruit is to stop trying to do it alone. He says in verse 4, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So Jesus says just like the branch has to be connected to the vine and remain there, once it's cut off from the, the vine, it, it, it can't get any nourishment, it can't bear any grapes. In the same way, we, we don't want to separate ourselves from, from the Lord. But it's easy to become sidetracked 
It's easy to become distracted. It's easy to find all kinds of reasons to not be in Bible study, to not attend worship, to not read our Bible on our own. It's easy. And I don't know what it was like generations ago, but I can tell you right now, the world we live in is so busy, everybody will plan your schedule for you if you'll just allow them. It's easy to get separated from our source of nourishment. And when we do, we no longer become productive because we're not able to produce anything on our own. We simply cannot bear fruit apart from Jesus. And this is why we need humility to recognize our need to depend on him. Jesus said in verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Maybe think, well, I mean, I can do a lot of things without the Lord. We can't do anything that'll last for eternity. You can create all kinds of activity. Most of us are really good at creating conflict and mess apart from the Lord. It's not that we can't do anything, it's that we can't do anything good. We can't do anything that lasts apart from him. And so just as the Father, Son, and the Spirit work in unison, we're, we're not left to be productive alone. Jesus has told us in the passage we looked at in the past couple weeks here, in chapter 14, verse 16, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. So Jesus says we can do nothing apart from him, and that is nothing eternal, nothing that matters, nothing productive. So Jesus is the true vine. So if we're going to bear true fruit, he has to be the source of our nourishment. Jesus is teaching us in verse 6 that there is no true life apart from him. He says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. So Jesus is talking again about these, these branches that are, that are not finding any nourishment in, in, in the vine. And I think about, uh, so look across the world, and I've seen so many people who seem to be so successful. You see people who are wealthy, people who are famous, people who are incredibly good looking, get rich just because of their looks. But we see all these different things. And yet, as I look around the room, most of us have lived long enough to see those people commit suicide, become alcoholics, fight depression, get defrauded, become frauds. We've seen so many things that on the surface looked to be so productive that in the end was ultimately just self-destructive. And so it is with life. The Bible says there's a way that seems right to man, but the end thereof is death. There are a lot of vines out there, a lot of places that people are looking to find nourishment, 
looking to find strength, looking to find guidance. There's a lot of vines out there. But Jesus said that he was the true vine. And that apart from him, we could do nothing. So if we want to bear true fruit, then we abide in him. As we think about our ultimate purpose in life, the goal of being productive is to bring glory to God. To bring glory to God. See, how does my being productive bring glory to God? Well, if you look at where you were before you were saved and where you are now, hopefully there's a dramatic change. And that change is the work of God in your life. And that change is a testimony to his grace, to his ability, to his love and concern for you. So when we become what he's calling us to be, we glorify him by showing the world who God is and what he's done in our life. It's Jesus who teaches in verse 7 that when we abide in him, not only do we have the Holy Spirit to help us accomplish this, to bring glory to the Father, prove to be his disciples, but we have prayer. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So, so Jesus uh, taught us here that we have not only the Spirit to enable us and empower us, but we also have this great tool to be able to speak to God and God answer our, our prayers. But the Bible teaches us there are many reasons that God doesn't answer our prayers. Uh, unconfessed sin, wrong motives, asking outside of his will. But Jesus said when we abide in him, you see, by default, we're not going to worry about any of those things. You can't be abiding in Jesus, constantly listening to him and following him, and be living in sin. So we don't have to worry about unconfessed sin, keeping our prayers from being answered. We can't constantly be seeking Jesus, trying to understand what he wants us to do, pursuing his will in our life, and then be asking for things outside of his will. We don't have to worry about that. And so Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. A chapter before, Jesus had said, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So you notice again the connection between the Father being glorified and us being productive, and yet we're not being productive on our own. We're not doing things for the Lord. The Lord is doing things through us. And so we abide in Christ, and the Holy Spirit begins to work in us and help us change who we are so that we become different people. As we become different people, we give glory to the Father by how we live. Jesus would say about this power of prayer, Matthew 21, 22, and whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. As we talk about doing things, it's, it's very important that we don't misunderstand. Bearing fruit does not make you a disciple. 
But being a disciple will make you bear fruit. We don't do things to try to earn our salvation. But as we become saved, that is why we begin to do things. That is why we change who we are. And we find our purpose in life. I know, uh, looking around the room, I've not lived as long as, as many of you have. But I have gotten to this age where several people that I grew up with as, as children have, have passed. Just two weeks ago, I heard about another uh, uh, person that I graduated high school with the same year. Passed away. As I'm seeing different people pass, you begin to think about what what do, you, what do you have when you leave this earth? And so, so many of us are focused on seeing how much wealth we can acquire. We take none of it with us. Some of us are so concerned about our status. And yet, few of us will ever have any kind of status that will even be remembered beyond, uh, beyond our immediate family. Adrian Rogers was a very famous preacher. Jerry Falwell said one time, he said, if Southern Baptists had a pope, it would be Adrian. And just tremendous influence. He had one of the biggest television broadcasts in the world, known across the globe. I went to Atlanta, pastored this church, and I used an illustration and referenced Adrian Rogers afterwards I mean Adrian had only been dead like five years at that point afterwards somebody said who is Adrian Rogers and I thought has this person been living under a rock do you know who the president is I mean what and then someone else said said yeah I've never I never heard of Adrian Rogers and got to talking around there was only one person in the church that knew who Adrian Rogers was and it was the most humbling moment of my life I thought I thought if if Adrian Rogers doesn't even have any notoriety to live beyond the, the moment, there's, I don't really have to worry about anything. I can just do whatever I need to do because it ain't going to matter. Nobody's going to ever remember me, that's for sure. I mean, what, what, what are we going to have when we get to the end of our life? This is, this is my point. What are we going to have? What are we going to take with us? Well, if you bear any fruit, you'll take that with you. The Lord leads you to help someone come to faith in him. Friend, there's a reward for that. It goes beyond this lifetime. If you help someone in need, driven by the motive to glorify God, Jesus said there's a reward for that. There's a reward. When we bear fruit, It's not like sticking money in a 401k that'll be left to some heir. It's not like some notoriety that we may think that we have in whatever little tiny fishbowl we live in that'll be gone once we're gone. It's, it's not like gathering some material possession that'll rust, rot. When we bear fruit, it's eternal.
and we bring glory to the Father. And not only that, we, Jesus said, we prove to be his disciples. Verse 8, he says, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. I want to encourage you today to examine your life. Does your life prove that you're a disciple of Christ or does it, does it prove that you're an American consumed with materialism? Does it prove that you're a sinner with a sinful nature that's selfish at heart? Or does your life prove that you are his disciple? We were meant to bear fruit. We were meant to live with a purpose. And this purpose was meant to extend beyond the moment that we live in. I challenge you today to embrace this purpose and to abide in Christ and let him work through you so that you can produce something that will last beyond your lifetime.